0: Uh, Okay, so uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, it dawned on me a second ago that we are uh, sticking within the frame of just being strange as a church. Uh, When it comes to Mother's Day, typical churches, um, or adult churches as I like to call them, um, we'll have like Mother's Day festivities, you know, we're like, hey, Come on in. We'll feed you brunch, or we'll get you pictures with people you don't really like, you know. Um, and then, then the pastor will will get up and we will celebrate mothers, which we should. We should celebrate mothers, even um, I should say more than just one day a year. Uh, but but what will happen is they'll typically go to a couple of places in scripture. Uh, we'll spend some time in Proverbs thirty one as it talks about what a godly woman looks like. We'll talk about um, spend some time looking at different mothers in the Bible, you know, specifically, you know, the Virgin Mary who um, was, pretty, was a pretty significant mom. Um, but, but to stick in the way that we like to do things here, uh, we, we kind of lay out our schedules and we don't pay attention to holidays. Uh, but I find it very fitting this morning uh, because what we get to see uh, is a temper tantrum thrown by Jonah uh, that if you're a mother, I believe you can appreciate. It. Yeah, you're pointing to your, literally to your daughter. Interesting. Uh, and your mother was kind of doing this to you. So, uh, but, but we get to see a temper tantrum. And if you are a mother, um, I think you will be able to identify uh, with what is being done here. And so, uh, but but we will come to the end of our journey through the uh, book of Jonah. Uh, next week we will dive back into our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but, but my prayer for us, and I've, I've said this a couple of times now, uh, is that through these four chapters we would understand uh, the story of Jonah is more than just uh, God sending a fish to swallow a guy. And, uh, but rather that we would see through these pages God's pursuit for His glory uh, while seeing just His great love for those who are far from Him. Uh, and, and throughout these weeks, we've, we've seen Jonah run from God when commissioned to play a part in what God was doing. Uh, we've seen Jonah's honest confession in chapter 2 and his uh, what seems to be a great repentant heart uh, while, while God takes him from his place of re, uh, that he's fleeing from towards redemption. Uh, and then last week, we were able to celebrate in this really beautiful moment When Jonah warns the people of Nineveh and then their hearts are rendered unto the Lord and they repent. Uh, And we got to celebrate that. They repented from their evil ways. And and in fear that we would miss the importance of this book, uh, I I wanted to very plainly state it in our talk notes so that you can go back to it one day uh, when you're doing Bible trivia night uh, in your home, which I'm sure we all do, right? Uh, But... But here's what I want us to know about the story of Jonah. That the story of Jonah is a story about God's mercy. All throughout these pages, God has been incredibly merciful. In fact, uh, He has been merciful with, with people who rightly deserve nothing less than His wrath. And He's been patiently merciful with Jonah as He attempts to flee from God. He's been patient with the mariners on the boat uh, as they cry out to their own gods, uh, until they realize the power that God has. And they begin to call out to Him. They begin to make vows to Him. He, he's been merciful with a murderous and a torturous and a wicked people uh, who live in Nineveh. And, and He gives them a warning of incoming wrath. And when they repent, He relents. Uh, not that He changed His mind. This was always the agreement. If you will turn from your evil ways, I will turn from bringing you my wrath. And, and so had, had now had chapter three uh, ended the book, we would have really celebrated Jonah, right? We'd have been like, this guy is one of the greatest uh, prophets of all time, which I, I'm, there are only a few prophets anyways that we've read in the Bible, and his name got mentioned in it. So that probably makes him fairly significant to begin with. Uh, but but had chapter three ended with the repentance of Nineveh, uh, we would have said Jonah is incredible uh, because we said his his message was was essentially eight words in our English translation uh, or five words in the Hebrew, and we would have said man that that's incredible that God would use those words and He would rescue thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And we would have said Jonah, man, that's that's incredible because you've gone through. A bit of a trial to get to this point. And, but what we find out is that, that the Lord doesn't look on the outward things. His main concern as He treats us is with our hearts. Uh, we, we find this beautiful passage in, in 1 Samuel uh, when God is uh, well what seems to be reluctantly giving the nation of Israel a king uh, and they uh, they have Saul. He messes things up, uh, but he looks the part. And, and and then God is telling Samuel, hey, you're going to anoint a king. And Samuel will see these these people that he believes will be the king. And God says, no, no, no. It's, it's not about the outward. It's, it's about the inward. Uh, and, and I think uh, that's why chapter 4 is really relevant for us this morning. Uh, I think it's why... What we see today, will it'll come to the surface because here we get to see Jonah's thoughts and his intents very openly. And in and, and doing that, we get to see his sins exposed. And, and now, we don't read these words, and th- it'll be easy today to look at Jonah and to see his tantrum and be like, Oh, what an idiot he is. Uh, but we, we don't read these words today in an attempt to discredit him or to... To belittle him. In fact, we read these words today because uh, we can be very exposed from our own sinful ways when it comes to our reluctance when it, in following God. Uh, in fact, what we get to see uh, in our unemotional state is the effects of his very emotional reaction to God. Uh, and, and certain things will be very plain to us in these words. Uh, but... What I want us to do is to take us back to moments when we have literally thrown a temper tantrum in front of God and hear Him speak to us. Uh, and so what it does is it gives us, this chapter is going to give us a glimpse into our own hearts uh, and we get, again, to be free from the emotions of seeing our that keep us from seeing our own foolishness. Uh, have you ever been so worked up that even in the middle of you being worked up, you've you hear in your own self you look like an idiot and you're like, I don't care that I look like an idiot right now. Uh, and so so this this is what we're going to get to see. So let, let's stop and then let's, let's pray. Father, can we come to you? And we thank you that chapter 3 of Joan, it didn't end the book. And as strange as that's going to seem here in a moment, we thank you that you've given us chapter 4. And I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may see your incredible love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, all right. So, so okay, if, if you're looking for another place in the Bible that kind of paints the story of Jonah, or at least the role that Jonah plays, uh, one, one place you can go uh, is in Luke 15, where Jesus is uh, telling the story of the prodigal son. Uh, because in Jonah, we get to see both brothers played out. Uh, in fact, uh, it's a, it's an incredibly helpful story told to us by Jesus about the blindness, our blindness, when it comes to the movement and the love of God. And if you don't know the story, let me just kind of recap it for you. You have a man with two sons, uh, the younger son, hears the call of a distant land. And he says, Hey dad, I want to go there, but I don't have money to go there. Uh, and you're uh, there. Uh, that's yeah, that's a, that's the way we say it. Um, But I don't have the money to go there. Uh, But the problem is you're not dead yet, so I don't have your inheritance. How about you give it to me? Uh, And the dad lets him have his inheritance. The son goes. uh, And most of us know this story. He squanders it. Uh, He hears the call of the distant land. He squanders his money. Uh, He runs out. There's a famine that hits the land. He ends up taking a job feeding pigs. Uh, And in this moment of realization, he, he comes to himself. That's the way the Bible describes it. He comes to himself and he says, um, My father, first of all, I want to eat pig slop, but I can't because I have to feed it to pigs. Uh, and then, secondly, my, the hired men in my father's home have a better life than this. And so his plan is to go back to his father, uh, have this big speech of repentance, say, Hey, I don't, I, I don't belong, I don't deserve to be your son any longer, uh, but if you will just hire me, I will work as a hired man. So he heads back and he sees his father, uh, his father sees him I should say, comes out running, celebrating him, kissing him, hugging him, and he wants to reinstate him into this family. And it's this beautiful uh, picture of what God does for us. Uh, that that he, he doesn't wait for us to come to him in this begrudging manner of like, well fine, I'll let you in because technically you're my kid. Uh, no, no, he comes to his son and he says, let's celebrate. He so let's kill Sally, the fattened calf. And so this great celebration is coming along. And then the older brother finds out, and he sees the celebration from a distance, and he comes in from the fields where he's been working uh, for his father. And he says, what's going on to one of the hired men? And they say, your brother was who was lost, is now found. He's here. And your dad says, let's celebrate. We're going to throw a party. Uh, and and the brother, like what we would want to do, right? Because we never deal with jealousy or selfishness in our lives. Uh, but but what the brother does is he just sits in the field. just Just sits in the field. And the father comes out to him. And it's this really painful speech, a very honest moment from the elder brother, as he says, I don't get it. He says, every day of my life, I've done nothing but work for you. Every day of my life, I have done nothing but hear about what my brother has been doing. Right? In this season, what my brother has been doing. And, and you've never celebrated me the way you celebrate him. Never. And his, his dad comes and, he, and, and where the elder brother was saying, but th- when this son of yours does this stuff... The dad comes in. He says, "But this brother of yours, you need to understand. This isn't about who gets to eat the cow or why we're burnt. Why we're sacrificing and celebrating today. This has to do everything, everything with your brother who was lost is now found, who was dead is now alive. We we can't help but celebrate. And and so if in chapter one we get this picture." of Jonah as the wayward son. We get a picture of this this guy who insists on doing his own thing, going his own way. Uh, chapter 4, what we get to see here is the role of the elder brother. Uh, we get to see a, a critical, a selfish, a sullen, an angry, an unhealthy person with what was going on. Uh, and it's going to seem really weird to us. Uh, and so there, there's a lot to be said about Jonah's movement this morning. Uh, but what's going to remain at the top of the pile is that uh, it, it's really not enough for God to tell us to do it, then us do it, but do it reluctantly. Okay? This is, this is what's been really convicting in my heart this week. Because there are times when God will tell me to do something, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. And he says, I know you don't want to do that, but we're still going to do that. And you say, well, fine, I'll do that. Okay? And here's what we're going to find with Jonah. That's not what God wants from us. He doesn't want to demand our action with a reluctant heart. Uh, and so uh, what we're going to find is that the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Uh, and that's where Jonah's problems are going to be found. And so God, God can use people. Okay, hear me when I say this. God can use people who do the right things for the wrong reasons. This is what Jonah has done so far. He has done the right things for the wrong reasons. God can love through you even when you are not loving through him uh, but, but one of the big points of Jonah is that that's not good. That's, that's not healthy for us. Uh, and so what we're going to do, we're going to walk through chapter 4. We'll pause along the way for some insight. Um, but, but the most insightful verses you're going to find here are, are three of them. Verse 4, verse 9, and verse 10. Verse 4, verse 9, verse 10. Because here, God is going to do something, and He's going to show an incredible sum of mercy uh, to Jonah by asking him to consider three questions. Uh, and, and I think the reason why these verses are helpful is because they're effective in helping us see the states of our hearts. Uh, God's going to confront Jonah by asking these questions that, that when viewed from God's perspective, seem very self explanatory. Uh, but because of the emotion of Jonah, but because of his emotional state and his hatred for the Ninevites, uh, he is going to be like a small child who insists on keeping his way, even in the midst of a temper tantrum, even in the midst of knowing that, that he's wrong. All right, so here we go. Verse number one. Actually, let's start in uh, verse uh, chapter three, verse ten. Okay, so so what's happened? Jonah has shown up. He's called the people to repentance. They've repented, and then it says this: When God saw that they did, uh, saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, the Ninevites. God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. And that's when we wrap up, right? Like, that's, that's the moment. That's, let's fade to black, and let's say that's a great movie. Right? That's, no? Okay, there's more. There's a whole other chapter. Okay? Verse number one. I love this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Okay? So God rescues. God relents. And this displeases Jonah exceedingly. And and in case you're wondering, anger over repentance is not the typical response of the people of God. Uh, That if you say, hmm, maybe I should just do what Jonah does, and be angry when people turn their hearts um, from their own selfish ways and turn them to God. Uh, No, that's not the typical response. In fact, we are told uh, in the Bible that there are great celebrations in heaven when even one sinner repents. Okay, uh, so, but Jonah, uh, as we will see, is very exposed here in his reaction. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord, okay? Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is, it, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, okay, underline those words. For I knew... That you are a gracious God, and you are merciful, you are slow to anger, you are abounding in steadfast love, and you are relenting from disaster. I knew that. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better that I die than to live. Okay, you want to talk about dramatic much, Jonah? Right? Right? I knew, I knew that you were gracious. And I knew you were merciful and slow to anger, abounding in love. And he says this, and I imagine that he says this in a really intense and like derogatory way. And you're like, all of those things are great. <laughs> Everything that you have used to describe God is incredible. And he's like, I knew you would do that. I knew it. You know what? Just kill me. I just I just want to die, and ironically, Jonah's issue is that he knew God would have the audacity to show His grace to these people. He knew it. It's like, man, you I knew you were going to show your mercy. I knew you were going to be slow to anger. I knew you were going to be abounding in love. I mean the nerve of God to do these things. you okay, Laura? You all right, That sneeze really hurt. All right, here we go yeah it's just really weird all right now now jonah here's what we need to know. Jonah obeyed God doing what God wanted, but God had not done what Jonah wanted, and that's the issue. Jonah obeyed God, but God clearly didn't obey Jonah's desires, okay and I know we we don't we can just set that aside because we don't deal with that anymore so so he wanted what Jonah wanted here is for Nineveh to suffer. What he wanted are literally people to die. Uh, and, and he either wants this because of his great patriotism, uh, because of what the Ninevites have done to his people, or he does this out of uh, a desire to protect his reputation, uh, that he would be either be seen as a false prophet to the Ninevites, or he would be seen as a traitor uh, before his own people. That they would look at him and say, Why in the world would you even try to help them? And so, so, or it could be some other reason, but but in his anger, he makes these incredible attributes of God to seem like the worst things God could could actually do. Uh, and and so the. And now here's here's what we need to know about specifically chapter two. The things that in chapter four Jonah is all worked up about that God would have the audacity to do were the exact same things that he clinged to. In chapter 2, when he's praying a prayer of repentance. When he's seeing what God has done for them, him. And he says, let me just champion that. That God is merciful. I was The seaweed was wrapped around my neck. It was done. But yet God in His abundant mercy rescued me. And this, this brings us to this, this first question that God asked Jonah. And as I read it, I don't, I don't think... I don't think there's a moment where God is argumentative in the sense that he's trying to dominate you. Uh, I, think, I think he knows that he's right. Have you ever been in an argument with, with a friend or a kid um, or lose an argument to your spouse, in my case, um, where either you know that you are absolutely right and the more you just explain how right you are in a calm manner is the best thing to do, Because you don't have to get on top of them. You don't have to be the loudest person as the most right person. You know that you are absolutely correct. So I think when God is speaking to Jonah, as he's been merciful this entire time, I don't think he asks Jonah these questions to dominate him. I think he does it to help him understand. I think in the moment when Jonah is so worked up that he says, Just kill me. God comes in with this very soft voice. And he says this, verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? And I read this a couple weeks ago, and I was just floored. Just floored. What an incredibly important question, and pertinent question to ask in the midst of our anger. Do you do well to to be angry, and this is this is what God is asking: Does your anger help you? Does it does it help you? What what does God's first question to his sulking prophet mean? Quite simply, it's this challenge to Jonah to judge whether the angry prophet or the great holy God of the universe is right, because <laughs> he thinks he's wrong. God, nope, nope, they don't deserve your mercy. You're wrong. I'm so mad about it. And God says, Does that help? is that helping you? Are you more right in this moment because you are more angry? He says, no. I am." He says, I am right. It, it's as though God had said, we're, we're looking at this identical situation in two different ways. Jonah, I am pleased with it. And you are very angry with it. So let's just pause. Let's take a breath. And let's ask who's more right. And I think whenever God asks this type of question, we have, we have to realize that, um, that you might be able to be more right than a friend or an enemy. You might be. You might be more wise. You might be more intelligent. You might be in a better emotional state. But when, when this question is asked between you and God, you are always wrong. <laughs> okay? when Somebody's still in your car, Mark. I know that. Because I paid a guy to do it. So, you are always wrong. And if this isn't comical enough, right? Because this is what we want, okay? If you are like me, I'm pulling for Jonah. Not that he would remain in his anger, but that he would turn from his ways. And so the, the next verse, don't read ahead, but the next verse, what we want to read is that Jonah was like, okay, I see this your way. I understand. I understand. My anger is not helping. And the, the next verse here would read somehow... And Jonah was no longer angry. And he saw things the way God intended them. And then he lived happily ever after. Right? That's, that's what we want to read. Let's, let's see. Because it's not exactly how it plays out. Do we all need to leave right now and go check our... Will that be helpful? Okay. Alright, here we go. Alright, verse 5. So Jonah, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. Does does your anger do you well, right? Jonah, verse 5, went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Okay? Now, I've been trying to figure out a good illustration for this. And have you ever, and I'm sure you have, okay? But it's a couple years old, the reference. Have you ever seen... um, the clip of the bacon kid on uh, wife swap, right? Okay, if you don't know it, it's great, okay? If you don't do anything else today with your life, watch this clip. But it's this kid who's upset with this, the rules of the, the mother, as if wife swap isn't a great idea to begin with. Um, so, so the mom, the wife, institutes these rules in the house, and she's trying to get them to eat clean and healthy, and, and this kid's not having it. And he's, he's really upset about it. He's like, bacon is good for me. You remember that kid? Well, he gets so worked up and so upset that he decides he's going to leave, which I think is great. It's a great testimony about just the way we think in our society, that there are producers that are like, no, 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 don't stop this. This is good TV. Okay? So this kid's like packing up. And, and there's a scene that I've, I've remembered uh, all week long where he's like, he's running away from home and he has a suitcase that's like this big, right? And he's dragging it on this gravel road. And he's like, y'all will never see me again. You know, I'm leaving. And this is, this is Jonah. God says, hey, Jonah, why are you so angry? And he's like, well, I'm just leaving. And he goes outside and, and he does what every kid who's running away from home does, right? He goes about 70 yards and he stops. And he just says, we'll just see what happens now. We will. Yeah. And this is what Jonah does. He goes outside the city and he says, I'm just going to wait and watch. And there's a part of him, I promise you, I promise you there's a part of him because there's this this ugly part of me that says maybe God will see it my way finally and he'll wipe them out. Yeah. He'll see how right I was in my anger and I'll just wipe them out. And so he goes and he does this. So Jonah's the the bacon prophet in and, and this is where God starts to teach him further. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. So So Jonah has built this booth. He's sitting in it. and now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Hey, okay, just I think that's a beautiful word. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And this is, this is essentially his question. Do you do well to be angry over something so small? Okay, and this is, this is what's remarkable about this story. Because this is the first time that Jonah is very happy. In all of these verses, this is the first instance that Jonah is pleased uh, in fact, uh, from the first step, we from re, from where we read about God's commissioning, He has not liked any of this process. Uh, that that there's the storm. He didn't like that. Uh, there was this great fish, even though it was His means of salvation. He didn't like that at all. Uh, and apparently, uh, even in His second commission, He's not happy about it. He's just reluctant to. He's reluctant to just submit. He was just like, I'll just do it. Uh, and then here at last, Jonah. Was, was very happy. And the question is, what happened in Jonah's life that caused him to be happy? And it was this is the first moment that he is comfortable. <laughs> he is comfortable. God has finally done something for Jonah. Is that selfish? Some of you' are like, "I don't know. probably not. Yes, very much is. Very much so, and it's petty. Uh, for the vine was, an, was nothing, nothing compared to the conversion of the people of Nineveh. It's nothing. Not even in the same ballpark. And at this point, God asked this sep- second question. And his first is, does your anger help you? And now uh, it was this question as to, to who was right, God or Jonah. this time God asked, do you do right to be angry about something so small? And by this question, God God exposes Jonah's pettiness for his anger, and it, that the anger had brought him from this this grandeur of being angry at God um, to being angry with such a petty thing as a vine or a worm. Have, have you ever experienced that? And I think this is what happens, at least, in, in I think in a lot of our anger, that we begin to be angry with big things. We're upset with what God is doing, you know. We're, we're upset that God didn't rescue us from certain situations and then that anger as we allow it to breed causes us to become angry with now smaller circumstances or a, or a lesser situation now I become more irritated by just the smallest infractions and then all of a sudden I'm tying my shoe and my shoelace breaks and I just let it rip right and God comes in and he says "What? hold on Let's keep things in perspective here. That's a shoelace. Because Jonah's argument right now, and this is Jonah was showing this to, uh, God was showing this to Jonah. He says, look, look where your anger, Jonah, has taken you. He says, Jonah, is, is this right? Is this the way you want to live? Do you want to spend the rest of your life swearing at petty annoyances? You just asked me to take your life because you are Hot. You with? It's it, right. Okay. Can can we just just for a moment pause and say Jonah is an idiot here, right? He looks idiotic. He looks like a fool. He's asked God to kill him because he's really hot. Okay. And just let's just acknowledge. That the beauty of the word this morning is that we get to see this, and we're not emo- as emotionally charged as Jonah. But there are moments in our lives when we are Jonah. We are Jonah, and and so so if Jonah's tantrum wasn't so revealing of my own heart, uh, it would really be funny. <laughs> but it's very exposing, and it doesn't doesn't make me feel good. He sounds like a hurt little boy at the end of verse nine. And so, so Jonah, God got asks, what does he say? Um, he says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And then, this is, this is Jonah's response, okay? Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die, right? You'll never see me again. I love bacon. You were out, you, were, you missed that whole thing. Yeah, but you get the reference, right? Alright, if Mark gets the reference, everybody gets it. Um, so so verse ten. And the Lord said, and the Lord said, and I love this, he says, You you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. So like, like Jonah got to see this plant grow up and provide shade in a day. Hey, that's that's a miracle. And he says this in verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You're like, cattle? I I think we'll make that relevant in a moment. If not, it's just weird, right? But here it is, here it is. The question that God is trying to get Jonah to reconcile in his heart. Okay? All along, Jonah's argument is, I don't, I don't like those people. I despise them. I hate everything they do. I hate everything they've done to my people. I don't understand, God, why you would care for them. I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't, not only not care for them, why you don't annihilate them in a murderous and a torturous way. So God says, why are you so angry? Is that helpful? Then He says, why are you so angry about this plan? And then He explains. This is what I love. Because God doesn't have to explain Himself. He doesn't. No one, no one can take Him to court. And yet, in His mercy, He starts to speak to Jonah. And He says, okay, You're so focused right now. You, you want to die based on this plant. But should I not pity the people of Nineveh? And this has been the whole purpose all along, right? His question is, should I not care for those who are far from me? And Jonah says, that they don't deserve you. And he says, neither do you. Neither do you, not for a moment. So when we get all pious, Right? And we've, we've tried to make this illustration a little bit in, in, throughout these last couple of weeks. This would be the equivalent of, of what we, ISIS coming in and we say, they don't deserve your mercy. In fact, many of our prayers, if we were bold enough to say it, we haven't been praying for their salvation. We've been praying for, for God's wrath upon them. And God comes in in this moment and He says, should I not pity them? And we from our perch says no, no. And he says if I don't pity them, I, then why would I pity you? What what makes you anything better? So that you pity the plant. What, so what does that mean? And he says this this worm attacked the ant the the plant. I feel bad about this plant mainly because it had to do with my comfort. But this worm attacked an innocent plant. And God says, what do you think Nineveh is? These are people. These are people that, that, that are being destroyed. These are people that, that they don't have a worm factor. They have a Satan factor. They have a sin factor. Because why would I not rescue them? And here, here's what we need to understand. About something important about the sovereignty and the provision of God. That, that cities aren't autonomous. They're not. Um, I mean, cities, uh, they don't grow without God. Even, even though the people uh, from time to time will think that they're building a monument to their own accomplishments, right? None of that happens apart from God. And God says, says I created Nineveh. I care for the people of Nineveh. I'm sending you, Jonah, to be an ambassador for me in that city so that those people will know that I am willing to take pity on them. And so God reasons with Jonah, though he didn't have to, and he says there are people there who don't know any better than simply being led by their own desires toward evil. So that, that's the case. And then he says there's cattle who who are part of my creation, whose only fault in life is being born in the wrong city? Why would I not have pity on them? Why would I not? And there's is, this, is this stark reminder, uh, as, as I've been kind of walking through this scene, that I'm taken to the cross, and I remember these words that Jesus prays over the people who, over the past, over his past twelve to twenty four hours, have have done nothing nothing but ridicule him. They've spit on him. They ordered his crucifixion. They slap him. They beat him. They whip him. They unjustly accuse him of things he's never done. And one of the most remarkable prayers that we find in all the Bible, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is Jonah and Nineveh. And we can start wrapping this up because this is—I know you have some blanks—and we'll, I'll give you something to fill in in a minute. But but this is this is what I love, okay? Because guess what doesn't happen after verse ten, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Guess what doesn't happen after verse eleven, verse twelve. God simply asks this question, and then the book ends. And and I don't think it was because Jonah ran out or they ran out of paper, you know? Like oh man. You know, and like verse eleven is like written right up alongside of the paper. I I don't think it. I think it ends this way because this isn't about Jonah, right? This is, I mean, we, we might be pulling for Jonah, we might be praying for his redemption in this and and his repentance and him seeing these things that are very clearly stated here. But this isn't about Jonah because it hasn't been right. We've been working hard this whole time to realize this isn't about Jonah, though Jonah is exposed here. And this isn't really even about you, because even though you are also exposed here, you are found out in this book. I think what we get to see here is that God has brought us to this incredible ending place in this book, and he simply says, should I not have pity on those who are far from me? And We've, we've made light of Jonah this morning in his tantrum. Uh, it's probably unfair. Probably is. But, but I think there, there are a couple things that, as we wrap up, there's three things. We're going to go through them very quickly. I think God is kind of telling us through these pages, and there's, this is not an order of importance. These are just three things. That number one, God wants to change your love for others, especially those ones you, just, especially the ones you despise. He gives us commands like 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen it says just do everything in love, and that frees me. I mean, that that sounds to some very restrictive. Like, well, now I only have one option. It's love. No, no. That frees us from having to decide who I get to love on and who I don't. It frees us. From understanding who I think God cares more for and who God cares less for. He doesn't. He just says, your job is to love them with the love that I have expressed to you. And man, God, in, in, in our next leg of Matthew, Jesus is going to say some really, really hard things. And it's all laced in this desire for us to understand what He is doing in us. And what He is doing through us, So God, God wants to change your love for others, especially the ones you despise. Number two, God wants you to realize that redemption is found through repentance. Redemption is found through re- repentance. Your ultimate redemption, your ultimate redemption is a restored relationship with God through Christ. And the only way that happens is through repentance. It's seeing Christ for who He truly is. Realizing that He is the best source of joy and peace and life. And saying, I'm turning my life away from all those things that were bringing me nothing. Nothing but turmoil and drama and fear. And that's repentance. Turning away from those things. Turning towards God. Then number three... God wants your work for him to come from a heart that loves what he loves. God wants your work for him to come from a heart that loves what he loves. And what does he love in Jonah, in this book? Nineveh. Is he wrong for loving Nineveh? That's not for you and me to decide. Clearly, it's not for Jonah to decide, it's for him to decide. And he says my choice is to love those people. So when I invite you and commission you into my story, I don't want you I don't want you to clean up your room because your parent told you to. I want you to do that because you love to honor me. So God wants us moving from our hearts, not from our hands. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, there's some people that will be up here, they want to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, boy, there's there's nothing better than that decision. It's the most important decision you will ever make. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word this morning. Thank you for, for exposing us and Jonah's tantrums. And Father, as we've made light of certain situations there, I, I pray you would bring to us the, the severity of such actions. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.